Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me on the Fox Sports app and at foxsports.com. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram, at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. There's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA. And that is here. Okay, so I saw a note from one of my listeners complaining about the fact that all too often I have promised to hit a topic in the next podcast and all too often have not only not delivered that topic, but in some cases failed to ever come back to it. Duly noted. And I apologize. In some cases, the topic I intended to hit didn't seem as relative as when I first proposed doing it. But I promise from now on that I will not tease a topic without hitting it. And if there are any that I skipped over in the last few months and you'd very much like to have me tackle them please let me know via twitter or instagram i can't promise you that i am going to come back and hit them but remind me and if i believe that i've still got relevant information to share with you or perspective i will do that before i forget you may want to check out the piece i wrote for foxsports.com on load management in the nba it's a subject i addressed in a recent podcast after talking to Houston Rockets guard Eric Gordon about it, and I discussed how that conversation changed my view of load management. Well, since then, I talked to a number of other players about it, players who were in the league before load management became a thing, and how they see that it's changed the game, changes they've experienced firsthand because they are still playing in this new era Uh, And all of that points to load management being a very necessary component to today's game. Not the view that I had, certainly, before I talked to Eric Gordon. And uh, just in general, in general, if you follow me on foxsports.com, you can click the star next to my name. Then you'll see all of the content that I put up there, uh, whether it's TV clips or, uh, or writing pieces. By the way, Draymond Draymond Green and Mike Conley are among those I spoke to for the load management piece, and I believe you will find their perspective particularly 
enlightening. In the spirit of being a more responsible podcast host, though, I am going to hit one of the topics I previously teased, and that is LeBron James' latest passive-aggressive salvos taken up by fans and media alike that the Los Angeles Lakers are wasting his ongoing talent by not surrounding him with a team capable of playing for another championship. And I'm hitting it, one, because it just continues to give. It continues to evolve. He continues to throw out those passive-aggressive comments. But let's start here. LeBron is indeed continuing to play at a remarkable level for someone who just celebrated his 38th birthday. He was just named uh, the Western Conference Player of the Week, along with Donovan Mitchell getting it for the Eastern Conference. But let's be clear. He's scoring at a remarkable level. Overall offensive rating, he's not in the top 20. Same for defensive rating. I couldn't go far enough down the list to find him on both of those. Point is, he's, no, he's nowhere near the top. At his peak, he not only got his numbers, but he got them for others. Russell Westbrook right now is doing more of that for the Lakers than LeBron is. When the Lakers won their bubble title, just as a comparison, LeBron was first in the league in assist percentage. That means the number of teammates' baskets that he assisted on. He did that more than for, for the Lakers than any other star did for his respective team in the 2019-20 season. This year, he's not in the top 20, again, in that category either. Now, despite all that, I still might even be willing to say on a better team, he is capable of playing championship caliber basketball. The problem, the biggest problem, is that the Lakers have no way of improving their team to that level. Not even if they were willing to flip the last two first-round picks they have control of unilaterally in this decade, the 2027 and 2029 drafts. Even if they were willing to flip those for current players, it wouldn't make them a championship caliber team, which is why they shouldn't be looking to move those two picks. Because they're not enough to land the talent to win a title. The wishful thinking and willingness to jump to conclusions that LeBron is the same LeBron because he's a top 10 scorer and he's only a top 10 scorer. Yes, he's averaging almost 30. Everybody in the league is averaging a huge number these days. I think he's seventh last I checked. Or because the Lakers won six of their last seven games. The wishful thinking and willingness to jump to conclusions is truly extraordinary. But at this point, kind of used to it. At least from Lakers fans. I can only assume the people in the media I see jumping to similar conclusions, suggesting the same moves, beating the drum for the same thing, are also Lakers fans or diehard LeBron fans. It's the only explanation for such short-sighted wishful thinking from people who should know how the business works better than that. Are we really not going to take into consideration 
that only two of the recent Lakers wins were over teams currently in the playoffs. And that includes the eighth-seeded Miami Heat. But it's without Anthony Davis, Rick, and he'll be back eventually. Yeah, the Lakers were 11-14 and 14 in games that AD played. Why would I believe his return is going to make them into title contenders? Do we not have enough evidence that LeBron, AD, Westbrook, and the supporting cast can't all function at a premium level at the same time? Do you understand why Westbrook is performing the way he is? That it's not an accident that that came on when AD went out? Same goes for the idea that acquiring Miles Turner and Buddy Heald from the Indiana Pacers would solve all their problems. Even if the Pacers are interested in moving them, which is far from a given. The rumor that the Lakers were not interested in acquiring them before the season has been inflated into the Lakers turned down a chance to acquire them. It's not the same thing. If the Lakers said, yeah, we're not going to go down that road, it doesn't mean that there was a pot of gold waiting for them at the end if they had. But for conversation's sake, let's say they could acquire him, that the Pacers would be interested if the Lakers were willing to give them those two future first picks, first round picks. Heald, for those who aren't aware, has not played a single playoff game in his previous six seasons. Players invariably need to experience performing on that stage before they're ready to contribute in a meaningful way to a deep playoff run. So if you're thinking, well, we just need Heald to be able to make the playoffs, okay, I'll give you that. But is that what we're shooting for here? Is that what LeBron is shooting for here? Now, Turner, Turner would certainly help them as far as rim protection. I think he's averaging like some crazy four block shots a game. Doesn't rebound particularly well. Is a stretch, big man. Stretch five, stretch four. But how are you going to get him on the floor with AD and LeBron? If you haven't noticed, LeBron has been playing primarily power forward or center. It's really what he's been reduced to. He can't guard the perimeter players at this point. And that's not a knock. It's simply a function of being 38. Playing AD, LeBron, and Turner together, though, would demand playing either LeBron or AD as a three, which would mean guarding wings, which neither one of them is capable of doing at all, much less at a championship level. And we're not in the, in the place where their size in the bubble served them with uh, Dwight Howard and all the bigs that they have, that they had, JaVale McGee. That worked. And it ain't working in here. It's not working anymore. Lastly, who are the Lakers giving up to make that deal work? Russell Westbrook has been the name most often thrown into the equation but why would the Pacers even do that? And that's the best offer they could make. They already have incredible young talent in the backcourt, the Pacers, between Tyrese Halliburton, Rookie of the Year candidate Benedict Matherin, and Andrew Nemhart. Yes, Russell has a huge expiring contract, but are the Pacers acquiring him just to cut him loose? Why? It makes no sense, certainly, to play him and inhibit the growth of that young talent. And it's not as if the Pacers are hurting for first-round picks. That would be the reason to acquire him and cut him, particularly if they weren't playing well, which, by the way, they are. They have a winning record. They're playing better than the Lakers are. Again, 
why would they be making this move? They have potentially three first-round picks in the upcoming draft and all of their own going forward. And as I said, they have a young team. Collecting draft picks isn't necessarily the way they want to go. And if anyone has contributed to the Lakers' improvement of late, again, it's been Westbrook, who delivered or flirted with a triple-double in four of the recent wins. Now, again, I will remind you, it wasn't against great competition. But still, he was delivering. The latest rumor has the Lakers balking at trading Patrick Beverly, Kendrick Nunn, and one of the aforementioned first-round picks for 33-year-old Bojan Bogdanovich, currently with the Detroit Pistons. Now, just once, I'd like to hear that a team offered such-and-such to the Lakers for one of their picks. Not, and not that the Lakers were balking or considering or interested in whatever. It makes it sound as if the Lakers have all these options available to them and they're just dragging their feet in getting one of them done. And I just don't know that that's accurate in terms of where they are. People are not dying to make deals with the Los Angeles Lakers. That's the the Lakers... Hard dying, maybe, to make a deal that makes sense. But as of yet, I haven't heard one. Why would the Pistons be pursuing Pat Bev and Kendrick Nunn and a 2027 or 2029 first round pick by the Lakers? Now, I respect Pat Bev for getting everything he can out of his ability. And I do think he had a positive impact on the Timberwolves last year, an impact that they miss. But how does he help the Pistons? They're not looking to turn some corner the way the Timberwolves last, were last year. There's no pressure on them to take the next step. They've got visions of adding Victor Wimbanyana to Cade Cunningham, Jaden Ivey, Killian Hayes, Sadiq Bey, and Jalen Duran. Bogdanovich is set to make roughly $40 million over the next two years. That's a very reasonable number for his skill set. Which means, yes, could he help the Lakers? Sure. But... He could help a lot of teams, not just the Lakers. Teams whose postseason prospects are a lot brighter than the Lakers. The Warriors, the Suns, the Grizzlies, the Pelicans, the Clippers, all of them could offer Pistons more than what the Lakers can potentially offer. Even if there was a deal to be made with another team out there, which I'm not sure there is, I don't blame GM Rob Palenka or owner Jeannie Buss for not pursuing one. The primary reason an opponent would look to get those picks from them is because they know it would hamstring the Lakers for the foreseeable future. It would knock out one of the great major markets that can sell itself on its market alone, knock it out of contention, or at least damage it severely. Because they couldn't draft any talent. It would have to be all free agency. Which, for the pocketbook of Jeannie Buss and the Lakers, is just not realistic. Maybe for Steve Ballmer, maybe for Joe Lacob, but, or Joe Sy in Brooklyn. But the Lakers, Lakers are a family-run business. And they don't have a lot of disposable income. They're as, as, as iconic as the brand is. It's not pulling in the kind of money that some of the other teams around the league are. 
And no, that's not a reason that Jeannie should sell the team. If anything, for her purposes, it's one reason why she should keep it. It's her cash cow. Of course she's going to keep it. And we can get into the civic responsibility of an owner some other day. Just know it's a business. And I'm not going to suggest that someone has to sell the team because they're not meeting the expectations of the fans. The fans send that message. They force that, that sale by not supporting the team. That's how it works. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Because here's the truth. that it, If they pursued a deal and they traded those picks, they would run the risk of being in the same position the Brooklyn Nets were several years ago when then-GM Billy King also went for broke at the behest of his owner, Mikhail Prokhorov, acquiring Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce from the Boston Celtics in exchange for a handful of role players, really kind of cap filler, and three future first-round picks in 2013. That's what went to Boston for KG and Paul Pierce. The idea was to bolster a in-their-prime nucleus of all-star point guard Darren Williams and center Brooke Lopez into a go-for-it-now contender to satisfy Prokhorov and help a first-year head coach in Jason Kidd. And we all know what happened. The picks they gave up turned into Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. The run at a title never materialized, the Nets never getting past the second round. What followed were three years of 20-win seasons and trips to the lottery that offered no relief because they no longer had those picks. Turner is also a free agent, Miles Turner, and no guarantee to re-up with the Lakers. So you're dealing two future first-round picks, potentially, to rent Turner and have healed. A scorer, but a decided minus at the defensive end with no playoff experience. You don't even really know what he is as a postseason performer. And that would be the essence of what you're getting for those two future first-round picks. LeBron and his advocates suggesting the Lakers are doing him an injustice might not bother me as much if not for what I just witnessed Steph Curry do with the Golden State Warriors. Steph found himself with a team in far worse shape than the one LeBron presently has. This was three years ago. Kevin Durant had fled to Brooklyn. Klay Thompson was out for the season with a torn ACL suffered in the previous finals. And Steph wound up missing most of the season after fracturing, fracturing his wrist. And then the COVID pandemic arrived, resulting in the Warriors finishing with the worst record in the Western Conference. The next season was not much better. 
Clay Thompson sustained yet another injury, this time a torn Achilles, forcing him to miss a second straight season. James Wiseman, the number two pick, tore the cartilage in his knee and also was gone. Steph returned, but it took all of his heroics simply to get the team into the play-in tournament where they were knocked out by LeBron and the Lakers and then John Morant and the Memphis Grizzlies. Did at any point Steph indicate that he was frustrated by the fact that he was still playing at an extraordinary level but did not have the necessary talent to win another title? Now, I saw the headlines. There were people out there that put that out there. Are the Warriors wasting Steph's talent? But Steph never never took the bait. Steph certainly didn't instigate any of that. Instead, he showed up and cheered on the team's young nucleus of Andrew Wiggins and Jordan Poole and Kevon Looney. He alternately consoled and encouraged Clay to keep working his way back, expressing confidence that he could make it back and that brighter days were ahead. He certainly didn't demand that they flip their two future lottery picks that were for the very next year that wound up to be Jonathan Kaminga and Moses Moody, or suggest that they move Wiseman for players who could help him win right now. No. He persuaded Wiggins to get vaccinated, constantly said, this guy's going to be a player for us. He mentored Damian Lee and Gary Payton II. And perhaps most important of all, he spent the summer elevating his own game to come back stronger and better and more focused than ever. He wasn't worried about what he had around him. He worried about making the most of what he had. And lo and behold, he got to the top of the mountain once again at the end of last season. He has taken the very same inexhaustibly optimistic approach this season. The Warriors aren't faring much better than they were two years ago. And the Warriors are not far from where the Lakers are right now. They lost a host of key veteran role players who were instrumental in winning last year's title. Role players who nobody thought much of when they were first acquired. Now, Steph's currently out with a shoulder injury, yet he is there every night, very visible on the bench, encouraging everyone from Poole to Ty Jerome to Anthony Lamb that they are good enough to get the job done. And if you don't think that that means something, Steph cheering them on, uh, talking to them, telling them to shoot, or Draymond Green doing dribble handoffs and handing it to Ty, Ty Jerome to, to take a big shot. You haven't talked to them. I have. And I can tell you directly. I asked them, where does your confidence come from? He said, that guy over there, number 30, not wearing number 30, wearing street clothes on the bench. He believes that I can get the job done. How am I supposed not to try to get the job done? How am I not supposed to believe in myself if he, if he does? Steph refuses to accept, no matter what the standings may say, that he doesn't have enough to get the job done again, and he's letting everybody on the Warriors know it. It's why I can't completely count them out. I don't think they have enough. I think they're too old. But... Or either too old or too young, depending on which part of the roster we're talking about. But if there's one element that I can't ignore, it's Steph Curry's ability to lead and to get a group to believe no matter who might be in that group. Now, 
I'm fully aware that LeBron is several years older, three to be exact, than Steph. He may very well be hearing the clock tick a little louder when it comes to his ability to play at a high level. But it's not as if the Lakers didn't cobble together a roster capable of winning a title for him since he arrived in L.A. Which, by the way, he came because he wanted to be in L.A. Because of other pursuits. Every other time he's gone someplace, he's had a demand of what was going to be there. He came here without any of those demands. Made them after he got here. So, since he arrived in L.A., part of those moves that they've made involve trading a load of young players and draft picks to acquire Anthony Davis. That's who LeBron wanted. Yes, they won a title in the bubble. And yes, those were extraordinary circumstances, but they did it. Can't take that away from them. And then what did LeBron do? He pressured the Lakers to rework the roster again. Now Dwight Howard and Jared Dudley and all of those guys, they moved on. Became more of a defensive team. Dennis Schroeder coming in, Danny Green, Marcus Saul. And what happened? LeBron and AD spent a good part of that season on the shelf. They were a good defensive team, but ultimately got into the playoffs. AD got hurt once again, untimely, and they lose in the first round to the Phoenix Suns. And so they make the team over yet again, this time going to get the player that LeBron wanted, Russell Westbrook. Had a few other options, but Westbrook was the player that he wanted. And how did that work out? They won 33 games. They didn't make the playoffs. And so they come into this season, and now the Lakers are not that thrilled about making moves. Yeah, they brought in Pat, Pat Beverly, but they're not going to the wall again. They went to the wall to get Westbrook. You really want me to blame them to say, hey, no, LeBron, that's your guy. You wanted him. Make it work. But instead, now that it hasn't really worked out, he and his advocates are suggesting that the Lakers take their remaining assets, assets that aren't even enough to get a player of Westbrook's caliber, to take one more desperate stab at winning now. And what does winning now mean? I mean, if they went and got Miles Turner and Buddy Heald, could they be measurably better? Yes, they, they could be. Is that going to satisfy LeBron? It's not based on what he said. He wants to play for championships. He can't get there from here with the Lakers. But all of that sends a clear and morale-undermining message from LeBron. You guys aren't good enough to get me where I want to go. That's the exact opposite message that Steph resolutely kept sending to the players that he was given the last few years. I find it laughable that some fans are suggesting first-year head coach Darvin Ham is running LeBron into the ground because he acknowledged that he's riding him. Yeah, he's riding him against the teams the Lakers believe they can beat with him. Don't for a minute think Darvin is deciding how much LeBron is playing or when. After all these years and all the moves clearly made to benefit LeBron, and in some cases only LeBron, we've got fans and media acting as if LeBron doesn't do everything he can to get what he wants. This might be the first time since he left Miami, though, that his wishes are not management's command. And why? Because unlike all the other previous places, LeBron hasn't been able to deliver when he's been given what, he's, what he wants. I never faulted 
him for asking, and I never faulted those teams for conceding, as long as they knew the price that they were going to pay, as long as their fans knew the price that they were going to pay, which is we're not going to be very good. In fact, we might be pretty bad for several years after LeBron leaves, and we should expect that at some point he is going to get up and leave. But that hasn't been the deal with the Lakers. LeBron hasn't been able to deliver when he's been given what he wants. Whether it's injury or bad choices, it's one championship in the bubble versus three complete makeovers that have depleted the team of assets. How am I supposed to kill the Lakers for being reluctant to scrape the cupboard bare to please LeBron a fourth time. I also find it laughable that there are people killing Sam Amick of the Athletic for quoting LeBron saying, you all know what the F should be happening. I don't need to talk. Since that quote, LeBron sent out a tweet accusing Amick of mischaracterizing his comment, suggesting that his tone was not one of frustration, that he said what he said with the, and I quote, utmost respect and calmness. Not to get all school marmish, but the word is utmost, not upmost. And what difference does it make if he said it happily or angrily? I don't know how anyone could interpret, interpret, y'all know what the F should be happening, combined with his comments throughout the season questioning the Lakers' talent, pointing out their lack of shooters early in the season to more recently suggesting that he doesn't want to play on a team that's not capable of playing for a championship in his waning years. How anybody could hear all of that, hear everything he said over the course of the season, and then hear, you all know what the F should be happening, and not interpret that as LeBron wants them to make moves. LeBron doesn't think that he has enough to get the job done. And... Again, LeBron's history shows that when he thinks his team needs to make a trade, he uses whatever leverage he has to make it happen. This, though, is his problem now. He gave away his leverage. If he really feels that way about the Lakers, that they're not good enough as is, why did he sign a two-year extension at the maximum going rate? Maybe he thought different. Maybe he thought they did have enough when he signed the deal. I kind of doubt that. But so what? That's a bad read on his part. That was a choice made by him. And I don't fault him for taking the money, but that's also a commitment. One that he now appears to be waffling on. He took the security. I referred to it at the time as the Kobe deal, similar to the last maximum extension that the late Kobe Bryant signed to wrap up his career in purple and gold. He wasn't good enough to get them anywhere on his own at that point, and neither is LeBron even though the price tag both of them got or have in the case of LeBron is the going rate for players who can lead a team all by themselves to the playoffs. The one big difference being that while Kobe may have been frustrated by the lack of talent around him, he never once suggested he wanted to go someplace else. And that is a big difference. The reality is LeBron can't go anywhere this season because of salary cap rules. So dropping innuendo that he's not satisfied really doesn't do anything. It's self-serving to the max. 
but it doesn't do anything but create unneeded uneasiness in the organization. It's also, whether he wants to admit it or not, it's demeaning to his teammates. That's why he tried to cast not what he said, but how he said it to Amick in a different light. Because once you read it, once you see it, you know. Man, what are you doing? You guys have won six out of the last seven. And now you're talking about, hey, we need to make a move. The truth? You can't insinuate the team needs to make a trade and say you're in full support of everyone in your locker room. At the very least, the guys in the locker room will be all be affected by any new additions. Even if they weren't leaving, if you were just doing it for draft picks, which is not possible, but let's say that was. It still changes the equation. You're no longer the same team. And you don't think the other Lakers aren't aware of that? And contrary to whatever fans might think LeBron's worth is, or that he has a genuine willingness to leave L.A., it's not as if teams are lining up to acquire him. In my conversations with a number of GMs, they neither see him being eager to leave L.A., nor any team out there willing to give up the kind of assets that would make sense for the Lakers or the team acquiring him, and we're talking about next season. It would presumably have to be a team that could contend for a title set to satisfy LeBron, but have a surplus of talent that they could forfeit and still be a championship-level squad. That's not an easy combination. There's no way of even projecting if such a team exists next year. Because we don't know how the vast majority of them are going to be composed or who's going to end up winning a championship. You end up winning a championship? You have no desire. You have no need, desire to go get LeBron. Why? You just won one. You'd ride with the guys that you have. Now, if I'm missing a team that makes perfect sense, that works, feel free to hit me with a team that fits that description. And no, the Warriors aren't making a deal for LeBron in exchange for Klay Thompson or Draymond Green or some combination of James Wiseman and Jonathan Kaminga and Moses Moody. They did just fine last year winning a championship. And I dare say if they don't win one this year, it doesn't mean that they're going to suddenly pull the ripcord and say, oh my God, we have to go get LeBron. That wouldn't be the answer. Now, I understand the desire to still have LeBron relevant, to keep the hope alive that we might see him in the postseason. But desire and reality aren't always compatible no matter who is involved. And as of now, that includes LeBron and the Lakers. The Lakers gave him a max extension. They gave him what he wanted, extension-wise. And they gave him an opportunity to, which should be a very momentous day. It's going to do a lot for LeBron. We'll do a lot for the Lakers, but we'll do a lot for LeBron, is to pass Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for the all-time scoring record wearing a Lakers uniform. That's no small deal. And so... When I look at everything, this idea that the Lakers are somehow underserving LeBron just doesn't ring true for me. If anything, at this point, the way LeBron is talking, not acting, we're playing, talking, he is doing a disservice to the Lakers. 
All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so here we are, the moment of truth. This is where I propose the topic of the next episode. And I'm going to delve into the Atlanta Hawks and Trey Young and what the hell is going on in Atlanta with a team that we thought was going to be the next great team in the Eastern Conference. They have fallen down and do not appear to be getting up. And there's a lot of palace intrigue going on there. A lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. And I find it equally interesting how all of that has been, or in some cases not been, reported. I will cover all that in the next podcast. I promise. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.